Welcome to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with experts and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode of the Move to Value podcast, we have a conversation with Dr. Yates Lennon, President and Chief Transformation Officer for Chess Health Solutions, who provides a primer on value-based care. So, Dr. Yates Lennon, welcome to the Move to Value podcast. Thank you, Thomas. Glad to be here. So let's start at the very beginning. What is value-based care and why does it matter? So what is value-based care? Um, I tend to think about population health and value-based care side by side. And in some ways, it's value-based care is population health plus a payment structure that you find in value-based care models to create sustainability for those pop health efforts. So when you think about population health, you're thinking about groups of patients, whether that's groups of patients by demographics, by disease state, by recent hospitalization. There are all, all ways you can slice populations. And you're thinking about caring for that group of patients. Now, at the end of the day, population health is delivered one patient at a time, generally speaking, in my mind anyway. But um, when you add value-based care to it, you're creating an incentive structure that creates sustainability so that you can deliver the services you need to care for those population of, populations of patients as they move through the continuum of care. So from the outpatient setting to inpatient to home to skilled nursing facility to back home, uh, that's a very broad definition, but when you dive a little bit deeper into value-based care, as a clinician, I'm thinking about value-based care as a way to support resources that will assist me in caring for those patients so it's not all falling on the, the physician or the advanced practice provider at the point of care in the office. What is the triple aim, and how does practicing value-based care help to achieve that? So the triple aim was coined back in 2008, and it really aims to do, as you might guess, three things. Um, one is to improve the patient experience of care. Um, the second is to lower the cost of care. And then the third would be to improve quality or improve the health of populations. Value-based care, and as we've discussed already, is perfectly suited to solve these uh, so if I start with improve the patient experience or patient satisfaction, the fact that a patient is able to access a care team larger than just the provider and the nurse, I think moves us in that direction. Um, the other the other aspects of care, when you you think about, I think about my parents, so and their um, encounters with the healthcare system and how it's been traditionally very disjointed, still is. They, they live in a part of the state where value-based care has not really penetrated very well. And it's very disjointed. <clears throat> um, my mom 
gets information from her providers and her payers, and she's confused. She she doesn't know what's real, what she should respond to. You know, is this a scam? Just all kinds of questions. So being able to reach into a care team on a consistent basis um, is very important. And especially for, for that generation, <clears throat> they don't want to bother their physicians. Um, we could have a discussion about whether that's the right thing to do or not, but that's just the way she thinks. I don't want to bother anyone. So having a care team who's proactively reaching out to, to a patient, especially following a, an important transition, um, goes a long ways towards bringing comfort and um, to that patient. And when I hear the stories from our care coordination team, including our social worker, the, the impact they're having on patients' lives is profound. Um, they're addressing things that I, as a clinician, would never get into as an, in an office visit, uh, in part sometimes because I was afraid to ask the question because I didn't have any resources to deal with what I figured the answer would be. To improve the quality or improve the health of populations, so we're focused on quality, closing care gaps. We're focused on an annual wellness visit, which is um, designed to allow a provider to um, look at a patient's whole picture. So where are they receiving care? Do they know who their providers are? Do they know who their durable and medical equipment providers are? Are they up to date on screening procedures? And are they up to date on any um, disease-specific quality measures that they should have addressed, like hemoglobin A1Cs or blood pressure under control, those types of quality measures. Um, and then finally, lowering the cost. So I go back to care coordination again, thinking about chronic care management, transitional care management, trying to reduce readmissions, um, and also to try to prevent unnecessary admissions, admissions as you engage with patients in their, the management of their disease states. Um, I think the other thing that value-based care does is it puts the right incentives in place for provider access. When I'm talking to physicians and they ask, you know, what, what do we need to do? There's always one answer that you can do tomorrow. Um, and that is improve access. So the idea that we're going to be open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and shut our phones down for lunch is, is a bit antiquated. That, that might be okay for a fee-for-service world when your schedule's full and that's the thing that matters most. But in fever value, if you can provide access to patients when they need it um, so that they can receive care for non-emergent conditions in a non-emergent setting, then that saves money for the system. And, and I'll loop back to the first uh, thing I talked about, and it improves the patient experience of care. I, I don't think there's anyone, very few people, if any, that enjoy sitting in the emergency room waiting. And if your condition is not an emergent one, if you don't have an emergency situation, then you tend to be triaged to the end of the line and you spend more time there in the waiting room, which is not good for patient experience, which is not good for provider experience, which is not good for patient experience ratings for the provider. So it's kind of a, it gets to be a snowball effect. And you know, a few years ago, um, I'm not sure who gets credit for this, but physician burnout, we all know, is a huge issue. And COVID has not done anything but um, accelerate that problem. And so someone termed 
the quadruple aim, uh, adding physician or provider experience um, as the fourth um, arm of the quadruple aim. Um, and I, we've already touched on this a, a good bit, but from a physician's standpoint, value-based care aims um, to implement team-based care. So they're, they're not the same, but they go hand in hand. And in team-based care, the, the purpose, the aim there is to be sure that everyone on a provider's team, those people in the office, those people behind the scenes who may be in a hub somewhere or perhaps embedded in their physical facility in a room where they're not focused on the patients who are coming in and out each day, but those patients who are at home, they're trying to outreach. Um, it, it, those, all of those people together working at the top of their license is what we aim to do in value-based care. For physicians, we would like to see them doing the things that only physicians can do. The things that other people on the team can do, then let's let them do those things. And let's use protocols and evidence-based guidelines to direct care for the 80% of the population. I always laugh and say the 80% of the population that's read the textbook and they kind of behave according to the textbook. There are 20% of the population that don't. And that's, you know, the the medical background and training that physicians and APPs have, um, decision-making comes into play there. You can't necessarily follow an evidence-based guideline for whatever reason. Um, we know that everyone won't just fall into a nice, neat little box. So really putting their decision-making skills, um, their assessment skills, their diagnostic skills to work in that part of the population that um, won't, won't fit the rules. And then I just learned recently that uh, there's now the quintuple aim, which is adding in health equity. And as I think about what we're trying to achieve um, by improving the outcomes of care for all patients by removing barriers that they face, and typically those are, you know, um, social, uh, socioeconomic barriers, um, <clears throat> value-based care is set to address that. When I look at the patient stories and hear the patient stories that come from our care coordination pharmacy, social work hub. Um, they are constantly um, working with individual patients to identify barriers to improving their care and ensuring that they have outcomes that are equal to those who are not facing the same barriers. Value-based care is perfectly set up um, to address each of these stakeholders when I think about, you know, the, the medical um, industry, if you will, in and of itself, but also the, the providers, the patients, and the folks around them that we would call their care team. So, Dr. Lennon, I've heard you say that making the move from fee-for-service to fee-for-value, also known as value-based care, requires a new way of thinking. Can you elaborate on this a little bit? Sure. be glad to, Thomas. So, I go back to the old fee-for-service world, the world I grew up in, and I, I still remember asking myself that question the first time I sat through a meeting about um, value-based care. And as an OBGYN by training, this was 12 years ago now, um, I went home after that first meeting and I thought, now what do I do differently tomorrow? And I struggled for a little while to understand. The only thing I could come up with was 
continue to deliver high quality care, have access for my patients and, um, you know, don't send people to the emergency room or labor and delivery unless they need to be there. See them in the office if it's possible. Um, but as I understood the, the concepts more, I think there are several areas that, that we can call out and kind of make a comparison between the two worlds. We've touched a lot on consumer experience or the patient experience already. So in the old world, confused, frustrated, you know, not knowing what's going on. Provider A is not talking to provider B. Provider A didn't get the uh, referral letter from provider B when the patient was sent to the orthopedic surgeon and the cardiovascular surgeon or the endocrinologist and communication is just not taking place between providers. So this leaves patients uh, trying to navigate a very complicated system on their own. <clears throat> In a fee-for-value world, that patient experience should lead one to feel valued um, and engaged. So there are uh, resources at play from the care coordination teams, the Pharmacy teams, our quality teams, we're just reaching out, pulling that patient in, and making sure they feel supported um, throughout their uh, care journey. From a care delivery standpoint, we've always been reactive. So we're responding to illness in a fee-for-service world traditionally. Now, there had been progress around you know, preventive medicine and uh, addressing um, cancer screenings, for instance, colorectal cancer and breast cancer screening. And a lot of that work has been done and is important. But I wouldn't say that's really geared at <clears throat> overall health so much. Um, and even in the fee-for-service world, we still were largely reactive. Um, in a fee-for-value world, we're more proactive. So we're using data. We're using um, our diff various teams to identify patients like I said earlier, not, not just who are at increased risk today, but who we believe are at risk in the future of some untoward event, whether that be clinical or clinical and financial. Um, and so that shift in focus for delivery of care is very critical. Um, care coordination, just by virtue of the term, almost didn't exist in the fee-for-service um, fee world. Um, we didn't have technology. We didn't have data and analytics. Um, again, paper charts, telephone calls, that was about it. In this uh, fee-for-value environment, our infrastructure is set up to give us access to much more data, um, which we can then use to identify patients, to be more proactive, um, Finally, just thinking about costs. So I, I, I believe that a, a strict fee-for-service environment really is a bit of a perverse incentive. I mean, you, people say you, whatever you incent is what you will receive, what you will get. And incenting people to do more usually gets you more. And that's the way the fee-for-service structure was set up. It's set up to do more, see more. So the the important thing was, you know, who's on my schedule? Do I have enough people to see? Am I seeing as many as I possibly can? In a fee-for-value world, the, the financial construct is, is more conducive to seeing the right patients at the right time and in the right location and doing the right thing. So it's not necessarily doing more, but it, again, focused on doing the right thing. 
for patients. And so those are just, there are more, there's certainly more ways, but in my mind, those are some of the big um, differentiators between how we think in a, in a fee-for-service world versus how we think in a fee-for-value world. Dr. Yates Lennon, thank you for joining us on the Move to Value podcast today. Thomas, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions, where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.